0: And welcome to the Get My Life Tour. It is me, your host, Lydia T. Blanco. And as always, I am so excited that you decided to show up for yourself and take center safe in your life. If this is your first time, welcome to the Get My Life Tour. Thank you for joining us. Shout outs to you. And look, if you've been on tour with us since day one, day 30, or yesterday, welcome back to the Get My Life Tour. It is a pleasure for you to be here and to show up for yourself. Y'all, I am so excited. I already said that, but I don't think you understand my level of enthusiasm because I haven't introduced today's guest. But once I do, you will know why I am so hyped. But I also have to start by saying that this Stop on the Get My Life Tour is about to be very intimate. And it is going to be extremely resourceful and timely because, as you know, I I stand for women. I stand for Black women. And today's guest is going to give you something that she has yet to share with a number of people. And I'm extremely grateful. So if you're wondering why I'm giving you this long disclaimer, I'm speaking slowly and inflecting, it's because we're going to talk about not being the only one as it relates to Black women, fertility, in vitro, and miscarriages in life. So, without further ado, I would like to intro our guest for today, and she is a soul of mine, a mentor, a big sister, a friend, I am her reverse mentor, and her name is Alisa Gumbs. Hi! Today's guest is Alisa Gums. She is a journalist extraordinaire. She's an editor. She's actually the executive managing editor at Black Enterprise. And she is responsible for planning, creating, and executing across the company's print digital events and broadcast platforms, or let's just call it all digital. Alisa Gums,
1: welcome to the Get My Life Show. Thank story. you. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like, you know, I've been When you're playing double dutch and you're standing outside the ring waiting to get in, like you, you are amped (laughs) (laughs) on on that intro. I'm like, okay, it's just it's just me. There's we don't need all of those words. It's just me.
0: (laughs) No, we need all. There are so many other words that I could use. You know, I'm always excited. You are. I I appreciate you so much. And I think people are going to understand my level of appreciation and enthusiasm once we begin this conversation, right? So we're going to talk about something very intimate, but you are just so dynamic as a person, right? You're a journalist, you are a woman, you're a Caribbean woman, okay? From (laughs) Brooklyn who goes hard. (laughs) So that says a lot on its own, right? But I've, you know, Given people a very brief intro um about you and what you do, but I have to ask in your own words, who is alisa
1: thats that's a hilarious question. I mean, are people ever ready for that question when you ask them? Do they think I don't no not yeah. at all I didn't think so <laughs> yeah uh i I don't know how to answer that I mean clearly professionally, I'm a journalist. I wanted to be a journalist my whole life well since I was sixteen, and I've been incredibly blessed to wake up every day. And do the work that I love to do for my entire career. Um, like you said, I'm from Brooklyn. Brooklyn's always in the house, um, no matter where I go in the world. I love that. <laughs> my family came here from Barbados um, at different times on my father's side and my mother's side. And I grew up uh, between Crown Heights and East Flatbush, Brooklyn. So the middle of West Indianville, USA. And um, I love that so much. I always say I never want to live someplace where I can't go around the corner in a head scarf and get a beef patty uh, if I need to. You no know way. Listen, I'm, I'm keeping it 100% real today. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I am, um, you know, I I am a best friend. I'm a daughter. I'm an only child. Um, I'm a mother with no children, which will make a lot of sense as we get into this. Uh, I'm a lot of things like every black woman. So that's me. I love
0: that. You are a mother with no children. I love. I absolutely love and appreciate the way you say that. Yeah. You know, Tell us more about that. Like, how did you find a language to describe yourself?
1: Oh, that that, took a long time. Um, So I've known that I wanted to be a mother um, even longer than I knew I wanted to be a journalist. I think I was like 12 when I knew that I wanted to have children um, one day, but I was also the good girl. I did everything the way that, you know, it should be done. And So in my mind, I was going to have these children after I was grown and married and I was financially prepared for them and all these other things. Um, I got married when I was 33. And my husband and I had talked about starting a family one day, but neither of us was in a particular rush. He really wanted us to have some time together to be just us. And I really wanted some time to prepare for for bringing children into the world. Um, you know, the managing editor in me wants everything to be lined up, um, imagines the obstacles before they come. And I was like, well, we live in a one bedroom apartment now. We got to get a place with a a room for the kid and we got to do this and we got to do that. And so, you know, here I am getting my ducks in a row and doing what, um, you know, the world tells you you're supposed to do. Um, to do it the quote-unquote right way. And we decided to start trying um, three years after we got married. We we had a new condo, a second bedroom, and we had had some time just together. And I was 36 at the time, um, and I didn't think that that was, you know, late (laughs) to be starting. I was like, it seems right on time in, in our life. And we tried on our own for a year and nothing happened. And so at my next GYN appointment, I, you know, I told her that I wanted to get pregnant, that we had been trying on our own for a year. And like the look of like shock and horror on her face was the the first step Mm. in what was a very long process. And she was like, what do you mean you've been trying on your own for a year you should have come to me six months ago and you're over the age of 35 and like you know like the alarm bells started going off and I was like um okay so she referred me to uh I don't even know what the proper language for it nowadays is but everyone I know just calls it a fertility clinic and um Mm -hmm. I went I had an initial visit and um, I went with my husband because they've got to test both of us to to see what's going on. And and that started the poking and the prodding part of my life. So um the very first set of blood work they did, they took 17 vials of blood from me. Wow. <laughs> I had never seen that many wow. vials laid up somewhere. Um, and they ran every single test that they do. They check all your genetic markers and they look for this and they look for that and they look for the other, um, and, and everything seemed okay. So then it was time for the physical test and they sent me off for this test where, you know, they basically scan all your insides and they inject you with dye to see where it goes and it puts you in some very uncomfortable positions and, um, you know, that was back at the beginning of the process. So, you know, there was still some trepidation on my part to walking into a room and taking down my pants and letting everybody, you know, in. Um, but oh, wow. at that point, they they learned that I had a blockage in one of my fallopian tubes. And so um, the dye would only go through on one side, which meant the eggs were only coming through on one side. And so that was the reason that they thought I was having trouble getting pregnant. And at the time, my insurance didn't cover IVF. So they suggested the next step in the process, which is IUI or intrauterine insemination, which everyone knows of as artificial insemination insemination. So um, basically a cycle would go like this. The day I get my period, I've got to call the fertility clinic and let them know. And they schedule me to come in a couple of days later. I come in, they take my blood, they do a vaginal ultrasound. They start me on medications to increase the size of the eggs I'm producing, to increase the number of eggs I'm producing. And every three days or so, I come back to the fertility clinic and they take my blood and they do another vaginal ultrasound and they take a look at my eggs. They measure them and they tell me, oh, it looks good. You got this on this side and this many working on this side and here's the size. And when they get to the right size, I take a different medicine that Mm. is supposed to um, tell the eggs that it's time to drop now. and when that happens, then my husband goes in, gives them his sperm, and it goes through a chemical washing process. And then they inject it into me and I go home and wait with my fingers crossed and, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the short version of it. The emotional version of it is that, um, right. you know, your entire life changes. Um, really your entire life you're you're supposed to treat your body as though you are already pregnant so you can't do any high impact activities because the medicine that they're giving you increases the size of your ovaries and apparently there's a chance that they can flip upside down um you know I didn't smoke but I, isn't it I was like what do you mean <laughs> That that's even a thing that could happen in your body but um, you know, I didn't smoke, but if you did, you couldn't. You have to cut your caffeine. You can't drink. Um, you have literally given over your body in the way that you would if you were carrying a child, except that you are not. Um, uh, wow. which for someone whose greatest wish is to be carrying a child, uh, is a really difficult thing to come to terms with and to manage. And also to explain to other people, I mean, I just said every three days I'm getting a blood test done. I would go in the morning before I went to work. So I'm showing up with band-aids and, you know, when we're having the company toast, I'm turning down the alcohol and, you know, anyone's paying attention, wants to know what's happening. And it is the very last thing (laughs) that you want to talk about. Um, with anyone, but certainly with just some coworkers, you know, you don't want to explain to them yeah. that you can't make a child on your own because everyone just assumes that, you know, that's, that's what people are built for. And, um, and there's a lot of shame. And there's a lot of guilt feeling like there's something wrong with you. There's something broken in you. You can't do what a woman is supposed to do. Um you know, I just have to
0: go back to the moment where you said the look on the doctor's face changed, yeah. right? You didn't have the information she thought you should have had six months prior. And in my research, I found that a lot of Black women especially don't have the adequate amount of Information about fertility, you know, we automatically assume because we have ovaries, because you know we are women, we are able to reproduce, and that's just not the case in that moment when you saw her facial expression and you you've gone over the process so eloquently, so thank you for breaking that down. but what went through your mind? When you heard her response and when you saw her face and what did that do to you?
1: You know, at that point, I think I still had some, like some level of resilience (laughs) around me. I I Mm. was like, you know, okay, so we'll, we'll just go do what what you say we need to do. Like, it's okay. It's, it's only been a year that we've been trying and it takes people time. And okay. So I'm six months late coming to you, but like, you know, just calm the F down. Like, you know, at that point. Um, <laughs> but then when I got to the fertility clinic, again, um, I was over the age of 35. So they were like, well, you know, this would be a geriatric pregnancy. And I was like, oh, which what? is crazy. Um, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was like, okay, well, as we're going through this, you know, should I consider like saving some of these eggs for something? And, the doctor was like, oh, no, like the time has passed for that. Like if you wanted to save some of these eggs, you should have done it when the eggs were good. You know, you have 37 year old eggs.
0: Which is wild. So I sat in on a conversation with some very influential women they worked in tech they worked in different you know areas of corporate in their jobs actually provided you know the insurance and the financial assistance for them to consider You know, freezing their eggs. And you know, honestly, that is a very privileged opportunity Mm -hmm. when you think about it because the cost associated average $12,000, right? So if we're not having these conversations in our early to mid twenties, this is not something that we're thinking about. So at 36, 37, You know, you're still out here in these streets, thrown in circles, and you think that you can, you know, bust it wide open and bring babies back. And that's not always the case. So what I'm hearing you saying, like, there's a conversation that needs to happen earlier. And I think that we also need to consider freezing our eggs as an insurance policy, right? You can be married. You can want children maybe you're single and you think about you're thinking about being a mother on your own but it's a conversation that needs to be had you know i never
1: ever ever thought about freezing my eggs i mean certainly people are talking about it more often now um but even though you and i are not that far apart (laughs) in thought there's still like you know 13 14 years between us in in real age And that's long enough, I think, for a generation gap because nobody that I came up with was talking about freezing their eggs. Um, And so when I hear you and and your contemporaries talking about it, um, I'm glad because you need to know all of your options and you need to think about these things like, you know, I I never thought about when I was in my 20s when I might want to start a family and if it was going to be late and if I was going to have troubles and what would be my backup plan. And, you know, what if I didn't get married? I really just had this belief that it would work out. Um When the time came for it to work out, because that's sort of the way of the world. And if there were any women, um, you know, coming before me who had had troubles, they didn't talk about it. Like you mentioned that my family's West Indian. You know how old West Indians are, old Southerners are. (laughs) They don't talk that kind of business, Uh, certainly even within families. And, um, and everyone, all of the women in my family had children. I don't know what they went through to get those children. I don't know how many children they may have Mm -hmm. lost along the way. We didn't talk about things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and yeah, nobody ever said to me, you might have troubles with this. You might want to think about this. You know, people said, oh, you know, you're kind of getting up there. You're going to have some kids. When are you going to have some kids? You just got married. When are you are going to have some kids? And I was, you know, I was very much that, like, independent. I can have it all. Please get up out my uterus kind of woman who was like, it'll happen when I'm ready for it to happen. Um, and um, except it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know,
0: I'm I'm thinking about the poking oh, and the prodding yeah. phase of your life. You said seventeen vials of blood in a daily routine. I can only imagine the emotional toll that took on you or had on you in addition to the physical
1: toll. Yeah, it did. Please take um, us through that process. And and that's not even the full picture of the physical toll because um the medicine that you mm. take is an injection that you've you've got to shoot yourself in the stomach with every night. Um, Wait, you have to shoot Well, I mean, if you have a significant other or maybe a roommate or whoever, someone else can, but it happens at home, in your house. Most women end up injecting themselves. I injected myself because uh, my husband was not a fan of needles and I'm okay with needles. Um, But yeah, like... the medicine comes in the mail, you keep it in your fridge and then you're supposed to like grab a handful of fat from the tummy area and stick a needle right in um, every night while you're in the middle of this process. And the medicine also makes you bloated. uh, Your hormones are all over the place because you're, you're changing, you know, uh, the balance of hormones and, it Physically, it's, it's a huge toll, um, but you're right. The emotional toll is so much more than that. Um, it is. I'm not even sure I can put into words what it's like to go through a cycle of that and then wait mm-hmm. and pray and pray and pray that your period doesn't come. And on the day that it does, there were always tears um and and there's a fertility clinic who knows more about your schedule than you do who's calling you on the phone to be like so what happened today (laughs) and um there were more than than one time where my husband was like are you sure you want to keep doing this I can't watch you go through this every month like I can't. It is heartbreaking. Um, and it was just as heartbreaking for him as well. I mean, he wanted a kid as much as I did. But at that point, you know, you are physically bearing most of the weight of this. Um, and I, I really have to say that you talk about the privilege of, of companies who provide egg freezing services, but but I recognized even when I was going through it, as hard as it was for me that I was privileged, I had somebody to go through it with me, and I had a company, even though they didn't cover IVF, they covered IUIs, and I had some hope there are women who are out there with no health coverage for this, who are scrimping and saving and side hustling and going into debt. Um, trying to make this happen and who are doing it without any emotional support I mean my husband didn't have to come with me every single time that I went um, to get a blood test and a vaginal ultrasound and uh, but he was there and um, you know it is I'm sure a very very different process emotionally when you got to figure that all out on your own
0: Right. And thank you so much for offering that perspective, because as you are saying so eloquently, it can be a very lonely process, right? Even when you have someone there for you, but even, you know, more so when you don't, that, oh my goodness, it is so intriguing and it's also so eye-opening to hear about your experience because you just never know what someone is going through um as they pursue motherhood or fatherhood you know i had um a friend from college um who's a guy and he actually created an entire blog with his wife about him being um someone who was yeah. you know challenged in his pursuit of fatherhood. And I was like, whoa, I forgot that men could
1: have these challenges as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that it's all set up, I mean, the first question that somebody asks you when you tell them that you're going through it is they want to know like, well, who is it that can't get pregnant? Is it you? Is it him? Um, And I'm like, this this is not a blame game here. I mean, like Mm. literally, um, I remember he told me a story that my mother-in-law had had it out with one of her friends. Um, you know, even uh, my in-laws didn't know that we were going through this, but we had been married a couple of years. We didn't have a kid yet, which is very unwest Indian for us. And so one of her friends had said, you know, to her, well, you know, this daughter of yours, do you like her? Is she good? She hasn't given your your son a kid yet. And I'm like, oh, wow. oh well, the, the entirety of my value now <laughs> is in whether I have produced mm. a child or not. Um, and But as angry as you get about somebody saying that, like it hurts because you feel that inside too.
0: Mm. You know what I've learned in conversation with you and with a number of, you know, my close friends is that we have to be mindful of what we ask women we sure about their bodies because you just never know. I remember very vividly being in a grocery store one time and someone asked the woman in front of us, like, oh my goodness, how many months are you? And she was infuriated because she was not pregnant, but also, you know, and looking back at that experience... Who knows if she had just lost a child, if she had just given birth and had postpartum, mm-hmm. you know, her body was still going through things. You just don't know. And then there are instances when, you know, we pressure our friends, our family We're like, oh, so when does when does it happen? I'm guilty of this, too. Um, I've been in weddings and I'm like, OK, so where's, when's the bun in the oven? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lydia, stop asking because you don't know. You know, what their experience is like if they are truly trying. So it's, you know, note to self. And, you know, I I feel like it's important to say that because we have to really be mindful. I've never carried a child or have been pregnant. And I know how badly I would love to have children. And at this age, at 30, I'm like, ooh. When I hear about every time I have a cycle, I'm losing eggs or every time I get closer to 35, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So it's just a note to be mindful and intentional about what kind of questions and statements, you know, you make. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. I mean, it always infuriated me um, well before I even started uh, the process and knew that I was going to have challenges with it because um, it's. First of all, none of anybody's business. But we never talk to men that way. Like ever 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 would you consider asking a man about what is going on inside his reproductive organs in the supermarket? You
0: are so right.
1: <laughs> like you yeah. you wouldn't do that. And I'm like yeah. there there is nothing more intimate than this. But you, you won't ask somebody how much, you know, they make or what they bought their house for, but you're going to ask them about what is going on (laughs) inside their body. Like, Mm. um, it never sat well with me. Um, and, and I know pretty good about boundaries and pretty vocal. And so, uh, most people never made the mistake of asking me twice, (laughs) Um, And I spent much more time sort of protecting or defending other people than I did myself whenever there was a woman at work um, who got engaged or who got married and that Mm -hmm. conversation sprang up. I would always reroute it um, or put some roadblocks in people's paths because I just I wanted them to have, you know, a little bit of space and a little bit of protection. Nobody knows what it's like. Uh, When you're on the other side of that, and especially in this day and age with social media, I mean, I I got to a point where I just stopped going on social media, period. Um, And, Mm. you know, this this process was seven years ago for me. And I still haven't quite made up with social media because Mm. when the entirety of your life is consumed with trying to have a kid it is the hardest thing ever to be confronted with the realities of everyone else having a kid um, or enjoying family time um, with the kids that they already have as happy for them as you are it is so so difficult um, to struggle to get what seems to come effortlessly to people, accidentally even mm. to people. Um And I just got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, my mental health cannot take this. I just can't come on here and see another pregnancy announcement. Um, I can't. Uh And so... I stopped going on social media, which is another thing that isolates you um, from the people that you love and the people that love you. But there's just no easy way around it when when that's what you're struggling with. Um, And I think we did four cycles um, of IUIs um, only because that's all that insurance would cover um they they capped you at a lifetime limit of four which i mean i would love to see the stats on you know how how many times it takes the average person attempts it takes them to get pregnant but i'm like four seems like a pretty small number um yeah for like, you said lifetime, time. like, and they had the nerve they, when they said lifetime, they meant lifetime. I changed insurance in, in the middle of it. And they were like, well, you had one with the other insurance. So that still counts.
0: Wow. <laughs> that is mind blowing. You know, I was doing a little bit of research and the National Institutes of Health, you know, ha- has reported that Black women are almost twice as likely to experience fertility challenges than white women. And they seek medical help for it half as much. When you hear things like what you just said, you wonder why, you know, right? And about 15% of white women between 25 and 44 seek the fertility treatment compared to 8% of black women. So there's so many underlying issues, access, education. And then when you do have insurance, how are you able to further seek treatment when you're being, you know, turned around? And then, of course, the cost. Right. I can't believe they told you that. Like, OK, you've already maxed out. I'm still alive. Like, is there no hope for me? What kind of information? Yeah, is that? It,
1: it, You know, it's another area where we've got huge disparities um, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were. They were very obvious to me while I was in the fertility clinic. I mean, I I don't know if it was really a ritzy place or not. It was on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And um, by the clientele, it seemed like there were a lot of um, high powered women there. Um, There certainly were not a lot of women who looked like me. And um, even with insurance the bills add up um, anytime you've got to go, you know, to a doctor or five times in a month, the co-pays alone wow. and, you know, certain things are covered and certain things aren't covered and certain things are covered at this percent. And um, it, it's really like Byzantine trying to figure out the system. Um, and When we got to the point that they uh, cut us off, we did an appeal um, that the doctor had to do. lost that appeal. And um, the doctors were like, okay, well, what what we can do for you still, though, is um, we can take you all the way up through the process. We just can't do the insemination ourselves. So that's like another crazy loophole in the insurance process. So it'll still cover... So does that, mean- um, you know, your initial visit after you get your period and your every three days visit. Um, and you still there. Okay, good. I am.
0: I am. I'm literally just massaging my eyebrows. Because I'm, I'm. Truly
1: oh yeah. 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 Understand It'll process. still cover your meds. Um, so they'll get you all the way up to the point where they'll release the eggs and then they're like, okay, now go home and have sex and try to do it on this day and on that day and again on that day. And hopefully it'll work. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can it's, only laugh about it's it. Time
0: cons- <laughs> like, I'm just like, wow. Yeah.
1: That, that's that what brutal. happened when um when we ran out of um out of IUIs that they would pay for um but in there and and as much as we have been talking about um the challenges that that's only half the story because we got pregnant probably around the third cycle mm-hmm. um and The joy of that day is another thing that I cannot put into words. I mean, I don't think I have ever been happier in my life after trying on my own for a year after what at that point was about six months, I guess, from the the first GYN visit where I told her we were trying to them sending us to a fertility clinic to the big pokes and proddings to the daily pokes and proddings and um you know two or three months where nothing happens and then you get a day where your period doesn't come and um You get a pregnancy test at home and you get a positive result. And I mean, I did the ugly cry. Like, I don't even want to know what I looked like on that day, but all the emotion mm-hmm. just sort of came pouring um, out of me and I was so overjoyed. Um, and yeah. I went to the fertility clinic and they confirmed it. And their process is that you've got um, three visits with them. Um, once a week before they release you back to your, um, OBGYN. And so I had the first visit. They were like, yep, you are indeed pregnant. And I don't know. They tell you what to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, I started to feel pregnant after that. Like when people talk about how, you know, they're, their pregnant wives and girlfriends are like hibernating bears. (laughs) I was like, Oh yes, I understand (laughs) this. I get it now. Like I, I didn't know how I could make it through an entire work day without going to sleep. And the very first thing I did when I got in the door was go straight to the bed and like lay in it. Um, it is, so much work at the beginning going on inside of you and so many hormones and Mm. I was hungry or sleepy all the time. Like those are like the only two (laughs) things. Um, but I was also so incredibly happy and, you know, I'm planning for this baby that I had been wanting and struggling to get. And, um, picking out colors for the nursery. And, uh, my husband is talking to my stomach every night and the two of us are in bliss, literally. Um, and we had our second visit and I heard the baby's heartbeat. And, um, and that is why I say that I'm a mother with no children because that moment changed who I was forever. Um, hearing that you know that you know Um, and it was so amazing it really 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 was Um, and at that point I had only told like a handful of people Um, I had told my best friends Uh, I had actually told my boss which is super early to tell your boss but I was having morning sickness and I was coming in late and I was like, I should just, you know, let him know, um, so that he understands what is going on. <laughs> I hadn't even told my parents yet because they live in a different state and I wanted to tell them in person, um, the next time that I saw them. Um, you know, they, I'm their only child. This would be their first grandchild. And, um, I knew how much they wanted it. And people were asking, a few people who knew were like, "Oh, do you know what you're having?" They say that people always have, you know, an idea. The mother always has an idea, and I'm like, I, "Maybe that's not true. <laughs> maybe that, like, maybe that's one of those made up <laughs> things, or maybe I just don't have an idea, or or maybe I'm not far enough along yet." Um, but I didn't know at first, um, and then I got an inkling, um, and the third visit, I went back, and. Um, I had my husband take out his phone because I was like, oh, we forgot to record the heartbeat sound last time. You know, we're we're sitting in the room waiting for the doctors to come in, cracking jokes, laughing, thinking everything is normal. And they did a vaginal ultrasound and they kept moving it around and moving it around and looking at the monitor. And I knew that something was very very wrong Um, and after about five minutes of that they were like we're sorry to tell you but uh, we can't find a heartbeat and I was completely blindsided like I know that women lose their babies all the time but I had been through so much to get the baby that I thought that was my struggle. I know everybody has struggles in life, and I thought that was my struggle. It never occurred to me that once we got pregnant, we would have any trouble keeping the baby. Um, but that was it. So I'm like, you know, five weeks into this, that is it, and um they were like, yeah, you know, we they probably told me a bunch of stuff that day. I really can quite honestly have no idea what they said. Um, I was not processing any words. I just remember that we had a very long train ride um, back home and that I sat on the train with my sunglasses on and my coat collar pulled up as much as I could with tears just silently streaming down my face for an hour um until we got home and that I had to call my parents and I was practically hysterical but I was like I cannot go through this losing a baby without them and I have to tell them that I've lost a baby before I even told them that I was pregnant um and it it was just Devastation. I mean, there really is no other word for it. um, But that.
0: I am lost for words, but my heart is just filled with gratitude that you would share that moment. With us. And oh my gosh, I just wanna just give you a huge hug right now. Like, I'm like, <laughs> my arms extend to Brooklyn right now from the Bay Area. There, oh my gosh, you share it so much. Look, Lisa.
1: You know, the only thing that brought me oh hope God. very bad time was that I knew other women. Who had gone through this, and they were amazing in terms of reaching out to me, holding my hand, um, and trying to get me through it. And and in one of the rare times that I was on social, um, a girl that I went to high school with, and I wasn't even really close to her, had posted something and mentioned a miscarriage. And she mentioned it really, um, you know, it wasn't a post about having a miscarriage. It it was just sort of thrown in there. Um, And in the past, I would have been really judgmental about that. I would have been like, that's your personal business. It's TMI. You're oversharing. It's too much for social, but it really was like a lifeline. Um, And I, dm'd her and we started chatting and i was so grateful that she was open about it and that she said it in a way Sorry. that really normalized it um and i realized that there there are people out there suffering in silence people who need to hear this, people who need to know right. that, as awful as it is, there's another side. You can get through it, um, and it takes a lot. Most this was yeah seven years right. ago. So you want to this. it now? I couldn't have had this conversation with you then, or year after, or two years after the healing for this. It takes a lot.
0: You know, you leaned into support, right? You you had your best friends, you know, you had your parents. And it's not hard to, to open up. I mean, it's not easy, excuse me, to open up. You said it, it took years for you to have this conversation. What was it like, you know, after seeing that post, did you feel a little bit more, you know, open to sharing with your family about what that experience was like and your your close friends? Because it's so intimate. You know, you're speaking so, you know, eloquently about it now, but I could only
1: imagine. Yeah, the answer to that is no. And I wish I could say yes. I wish I could. I mean, Hmm. looking back on it, I didn't deal with it in the healthiest way at the time. Um, Mm. But I had never experienced anything like this. And I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, it took me years to realize that what I had basically done was stop talking. Like I stopped talking. It started with um, the fact that I didn't feel like most people could understand what I was going through. Um that even though I was going through it with someone else, uh, people grieve differently. And the way that I grieved and the way that he grieved and the timelines for whatever individual stages of grief that we were in, did it line up. And so I stopped talking to people who didn't understand. I stopped talking to the person who did understand. And I didn't have the words, even if I had talked. I I didn't know how to process it myself. Like, I didn't know what I was feeling other than intense pain. Um, But there were so many layers to it that that I, I know now. Um, but at the time I didn't. And so even though people were there for me, um, I just sort of kept like moving through my life as if everything was okay. Um, the week after mm. he found out I had to go in for a procedure to remove the rest of the pregnancy, which brought up all kinds of conflicting emotions in me because on the one hand, I was like, well, you know, I have what's left of a fetus inside of me. It's not alive anymore. And I want it out as soon as possible. And on the other hand, I'm like, I have what's left of my child inside of me and I want to hold on to it as long as possible. Um, neither of them are rational, but it doesn't matter. Like, that's what you feel. and so, right. I think I took like two days off of work. I didn't even take a long time. Um, and oh my. I had a I had an employee who was um, who was leaving the company and. I came in while I was out on those two days to throw her a going away party.
0: My goodness. That is so Elisa like yeah.
1: I was like, listen, I had already planned it. It was already scheduled. What am I going to do? Tell the whole company the party's canceled because I had a miscarriage? Um. You know, I have
0: to stop you right there because now I need to to really ask you about your healing process mm-hmm. right? because so many of us do that. We don't show up for ourselves when we need us the most you know nothing seems to slow you down like nothing alisa i (laughs) feel like i've known you for like 400 years even though we haven't been alive that long but one of the things that i know is that nothing has seemed to slow you down what what gave you permission to sit and reflect and heal was it you um was it, you know, your son? What? What was it? Because you you showed up and you threw this going away party. I know, but I understand other people grieve differently. Uh, right? But, so, but even when
1: I think travels? back on it, at the time I did it because that's what I do. When I think back on it, I'm a very different person now, <laughs> and I I sort of want to strangle that person a little bit. Um, because mm. why? like really why um but I'm gonna I'll be completely honest with you it took me a whole entire year I went on like that for a year Mm. um and, and and I wasn't trying to ignore my pain and I didn't think that I was ignoring it um I thought well you know um this awful thing happened but uh Life goes on and, um, you know, when the, the, the fertility clinic is asking you, you know, do you want to try again? When are you going to get back on the horse? You have to wait six weeks uh, for your body to become fully unpregnant. I know that's not the technical terms, but for your hormones to go back to normal and everything. So, so you've got this built in, you, you are not, you can't start this process again in six weeks. Um, and looking back, I'm like, I wasn't emotionally prepared to restart this process in six months. Um, but in six weeks I tried, I was like, yep. Okay. We're gonna, we're gonna do this again. Just, you know, let's go. Um, and I think I probably made it through two more cycles before I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I, um, I don't have the emotional capacity to do this and I need to stop. Mm. Uh, But I kept up with the outside of my life. I got up every day and I went to work. Mm. And if you didn't know me that well, then you didn't know that anything was wrong. Um, But on the inside, everything was wrong. And I was losing interest in everything. And I didn't want to go to work in the morning and I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning and I didn't want to answer the phone when my friends called or texted. And when it got to the point that I didn't even want to get in the shower, I was like, all right, um, we got to do something here because you've been doing this on your own for a year and you are no better than on the day that this happened. Mm. And quite honestly, I thought about my aunt. Um, I had an aunt who had died right the same year that I got pregnant, but her husband had died 10 years before she did. And she was never the same after he died she was always my most Mm. social aunt she used to have a life she used to have friends she used to go out and do stuff um and after her husband died she went to work she came home and that was it she got in the bed she watched tv and that was it she wasn't herself um ever again and Her husband died relatively young. She died relatively young. Um, And after she died, I kept thinking to myself that, you know, you have no idea how much time you have left. She had no idea that she was going to be miserable for the last 10 years of her life. Like, I don't know if she ever thought to herself, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get over this. I'm going to be happy again one day. But if she did, she never had that chance. Mm. And. So a year later, when I realized what I had become, I was like, I I don't want that for myself. I don't want to get stuck at this point in life um, like my aunt did or like I see on TV. If you ever watch Hoarders, I know this is a." an odd thing, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I used to watch hoarders. And when I first watched it, I just, you know, I think it's just like, you know, dirt porn or whatever you want to call it, but, um, you're like, how could people possibly live like this? <laughs> but at every point at, in every episode, there's a point where you realize that person was traumatized, like somewhere in their life. And you can trace right. all of this back to that. Um, it's like their life stopped during that point. And then all this shit just accumulated around them. Um, and I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go to therapy. Um, but it took me a whole year. And it took me getting to the point where I was like, I have no joy left in my life. And I'm just moving through the motions. Mm-hmm. And, um, But I got to do something. Uh, so I went to therapy.
0: And, you know, how did that
1: help you show up differently? It's made a ton of difference, but it's not an overnight difference. (laughs) Um, it was, it was my first time going to therapy. I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know what the process was going to be like. And I, you know, other than that, I knew that I needed to stick with it. I would have like <laughs> given failing grades to all of my first few therapy sessions because I'm like I'm just sitting here crying <laughs> like <laughs> I really I like I'm yeah just need to yeah. it out I I wouldn't have characterized them as productive in any way back then but you have to go through that like you you have to get it all out and then you have to sort out like what's left. And I always thought of myself as a person who had like a high emotional intelligence. But when my therapist would ask me what I felt about stuff and I would answer, he would be like, no, that's what you think. I'm asking you how you feel. Oh, that's good. And I was like, what do you mean? I just answered that question. And it took me a long time to learn (laughs) that I didn't know how to recognize my feelings. Um, And I didn't know how to name them all. I didn't know how to sort them all. And I'm like, you know, Mm -hmm. other than being like, look, I feel crappy. I feel bad. I feel whatever. I feel overwhelmed. Like to be able to pull apart the fact that I'm grieving over an actual loss and I'm grieving over the loss of the life that I expected to have. And I'm feeling Mm. this huge sense of shame because my body didn't do what I thought that it was supposed to do. And I'm feeling this sense of guilt because I couldn't give my husband a child. And I couldn't give my parents or my in-laws a grandchild. And I'm feeling lonely because I'm not sharing any of this with anybody. And I'm feeling, I was feeling so many different things, but it took a lot of time in therapy in order for me to be able to sort all of that out. And, and to learn how to show up for myself. It's so funny that you say that. And I know like everyone says that nowadays, it's like a catchphrase, but it means something for real. And probably the biggest lesson that I have gotten from what is now years of therapy is that I don't protect myself. I'll put myself on the line mm. for other people all the time. Mm. Um, but I don't do the same for myself. Uh because I think that I don't need it, because mm. I think I'll be okay, because I'm strong, because stuff can roll off of me or whatever. Um, but I don't do it. Um or I didn't do it. Um, I do it now. I realize that just because I think I'm mm. titanium doesn't mean I need to put myself in the line of fire. I might be bulletproof, <laughs> but we don't have to prove that point every damn day.
0: Right. Oh, well, well <laughs> that, if that's not a word, I don't know what is. Hello, Black women. Yeah. You don't have to be everything and all things. Oh, my gosh. that That is so good. You know what just came to me? I, I thought about that lifetime, um, the four lifetime insurance policy, mm-hmm. and then I also thought about how you being able to conceive was assurance, even when the insurance ran out. And I'm so appreciative of you being a mother with no children on this side of the earth. But in you saying that also, you know, attests to how you show up for others right? You didn't feel that you needed to protect yourself. But I think one of the reasons why you, you wore or you wear that armor is because you are a mother. You are a giver. You are someone who puts others first. And while you don't have to do that, while you don't have to do that in an unhealthy fashion, it is something you do because you know what it's like um to, to create, right? And to go through the fire and give things your all like you were fighting not only for your child's life, but for your life as well. You put your life literally on the line time and time again um, so that you could, you know, experience motherhood and so many other things that came out of that process.
1: Oh, Alyssa, thank you. you are, you that's, are glorious. That's really sweet. <clears throat> yeah. You know, Being pregnant was always something that I wanted to do. And I know there are a lot of different ways to be a mother. And and I want us to talk about that, too. Um, You don't have to do it by pregnancy. Like, you don't have to give birth to your own child. It's something that I always wanted. I thought that I would enjoy pregnancy. Um, I certainly enjoyed the time that I had with it. And um, even with the heartbreak that came with it because losing my son was the biggest heartbreak of my life. I feel an intense gratitude that I was able to experience that. Um, and, and there is an assurance to it. Um, you know, I mentioned that people asked me if I knew what I was having. And at first I didn't know. And then I got an inkling. Um, after Uh, They did the DNI, which is the procedure that removes what's left of the pregnancy. They uh, they tested it to see what might have gone wrong, Uh, which I didn't realize that they were going to do. But when they did, they were like, well, do you want to know the gender? And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And they were like, well, you know, yeah, we you know, we have the DNA. We can tell you what the gender was. Um, and I was like, "Yeah." And they were like, "It was a boy." And I was like, "I knew it was a boy. He told me that he was a boy." Um, and yeah. uh, I tried meditation for the first time sometime after um, the miscarriage, and my my first time meditating um, was either a horrible failure or a huge success, depending on the way that you look at it. But I ended up sobbing on the floor because I felt the spirit of my son. Um, I was like, that's not what the meditation was about. Like, that's not what I was expecting to happen. I don't even know what I was supposed to be concentrating on, what the mantra was or whatever. But what I felt when I got really, really still was I felt the spirit of my son. Um, and it was so overwhelming that I couldn't do anything but cry. But that, that kind of assurance, um, you know, depending on what you believe in that, you know, there is, you know, a life that was created and a soul that will be here um, forever. And that communicated with me um, as his mother was Mm -hmm. such an amazing feeling. Um, And something that that I hold on to um, forever, which is why you know I said I'm, I'm a mother with no children because I very much do feel um, like a mother, and you know it, it's not an easy thing to explain to people when they ask me if I have kids. I just tell them no. Uh, nobody, you know, it's like when people say how are you, they don't want to hear how you really are. <laughs> you know, when you first meet someone, they don't want to hear nice. um, this story. But for me. Um, yes, I have a son. I just didn't get to birth him mm. and I didn't get to meet him yet. Mm. I you am are
0: a godmother. This woman buys uniforms for <laughs> little boys <laughs> online. Like I wish I was your best mm. sometimes because he's lit and, um, like you are a real godmother. People use that term loosely, but it's something that I've seen you take very seriously. You are also a cousin, aunt, yeah, <laughs> right? you know, as black folks we're like, if you too old to be my cousin, like real closely, you're officially my aunt, right? Um, and you take care of that adorable little boy so well. you know, how are you able to uh, oh, I don't want to ask you how are you able to, right? What does it mean to you to be a part of the lot their life, the way that you are?
1: It it means everything. So I had a lot of conversations after the miscarriage about what I was going to do in terms of having kids. Um, And I got a lot of unsolicited advice. (laughs) I I got a little bit of solicited advice Uh as well. Um, (laughs) You know, but but you have decisions to make. Like I said, um, I originally jumped back on the horse to try again. And I realized that I was in no shape to do that. And it stopped. Um, And by the time that I started healing um, enough to consider it, uh, my marriage was falling apart, quite honestly. um, And I'm now divorced. But there were people at the time who were like, well, that's okay. You could still have a kid with him. I'm like, I, my, I'm in the middle of like, literally my marriage is falling apart. And you think that I should just try to have a kid because my timeline's running out? Like, no. Um, or because my insurance now covers IVF, hmm. um, you know, in a cruel twist of fate? Uh, hmm. No. And then people are like, well, you know, you could do it by yourself. You could adopt. Um, and And both of those things are true. But I just realized that my life really isn't set up for me to do it by myself, Um, you know, with all praise and respect of women who do. Um, but my life isn't set up that way. And I don't think that it would be fair to a kid. Um But there are so many ways to be yeah. a mom. And I thought about that for a long time, but. It took me a long time to really believe it. You know, it's one of those things that you say to yourself, but it still feels like the consolation prize. Like, okay, well, I couldn't have a kid, but I can still be like a mom. Um, It didn't ring true for for a long time, even though I was saying it to myself. It was like one of those fake it till you make it kinds of things. Um, But that's what's so amazing is there. You know, there's no. Lack of need for motherly love in this world, um, right? <laughs> and you I, say you know, I have people okay. um, close to me who have adopted. Uh, I have a sorority sister who is a foster mom. Um, I, I have a lot of women in my life who are step moms, and you know, I could walk in into my life tomorrow with a kid and. You know who knows who knows how I will be able to mother someone um in this life i i've I've not planned a new strategy I am having faith to see where it goes, but in the meantime, I'm loving kids that that are around me. I have three godsons actually um, yeah and I think that I had to learn to step out a little bit and to sort of offer myself and ask for the things that I want because, you know, people who have kids, they're busy and they got a lot of stuff going on and they don't always think um, to include you in stuff or they don't always think that you would want to be a part of stuff. And so I have had to be like, you know, hey. If you need a break, I'm here and, um, you know, I can watch the kid for a while or if you need something or, you know, hey, I I got a free Saturday. And do you want me to take the kids to the museum or whatever it is? Um, I used to, to feel very um, self-conscious about offering that. Like putting the offer out there um mm. but i had to learn to get over that because if what you want is to build relationships with these kids and to spend time with them um then you have to go after what you want again it's your life if little laughter around is what makes you happy mm. then there are ways to have little laughter <laughs> around um or whatever And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I take a lot of um, pleasure in in my extended family. And um, one of the hardest things for me that has also become like a great joy for me is that uh, two of my cousins had kids and they were both sons. um, Right. While I was pregnant. And so one of them (laughs) was born in October. And one was born in February and my son would have been born in April or May. Um, and it would have been like the three of them as cousins. They would have grown up together. And I loved that idea. I absolutely loved it. Um, so my son's not here, but the other two of them are still here and I love on them whenever I can. Yeah. Um, and they give me a lot of joy. yeah
0: my goodness you oh my gosh I I'm just so lost for words and I'm I'm okay with that because you are an expert of your experience and I am so I am really grateful that you have been attentive to your needs along your journey, right? And I understand that that's something that you've had to learn over time. It's also beautiful that you can celebrate others, that you can find ways to actively participate in their lives and really go for what it is that you need, you know, you said, ask for what you need, you know, that those little laughs and (laughs) kissing baby feet and biting your little thighs. I know I probably sound like a little creep, but those things are just so fun to do. And I think sometimes when we've had our traumatic experiences, we don't know how to continue to go for what we want, but you've really helped me even think about ways to show up for myself after I've been disappointed or heartbroken. And I really hope that those, you know, tuned in, hear ways that they can keep it moving. Oh my gosh, it's so bold of you and very daring, but I'm also grateful that it's been very rewarding for you as well. And I think it's so divine that, those blessings have come back to you in the form of little boys, right? Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah, I, I think it's divine too. Um, when my cousin brought her son home, the one who was born in October, so I had the miscarriage in September. Um, her baby shower was the weekend after my miscarriage and I didn't go. Um, and so she was the first, person in my extended family that I told because I wanted her to know why I I wasn't coming to her baby shower like that's such a huge thing I would never miss it um but I couldn't do it and I wanted her to know why um and so that that's my youngest godson she she made me his godmother which I'm very grateful for um but when she brought him home from the hospital she brought him over to meet us I held him and he opened his eyes and he stared at me. And I swore this boy was like looking through my soul. I was like, whoa. But I felt like he was carrying a message for me. I felt like, you know, he was like, mm-hmm. okay, listen, my cousin, I met him. I want you to know, like, he he just wanted me to say hi to you for him, um, which, you know, it could sound super crazy, um, or it could sound super divine, you know, depending on all. how Not you look all. at things. Um, yes. But I've always felt bonded um, to the two of them that were born that year in, in a different way. And, um, you know, it, it's difficult for me as they get older and I see each of their milestones and I see their personalities develop and... It's a constant reminder of what I lost, but it's also a constant reminder um, of love and family. Um, And so, you know, I can hold myself up in my house and be sad uh, about what I lost or I, I could put this love to some good use. Um, and I'm really grateful that Mm -hmm. I was able to find my way back to myself with, with a lot of time and a lot of Mm -hmm. work, um, and a good therapist. (laughs) I, I, you know, and there, there are a lot of Mm -hmm. ways for women to get here. It doesn't have to be that path, but, um, but they have to realize when they're lost. And, and the way back isn't going to be easy.
0: Oh. Oh, my goodness. What? Oh, my gosh. Alisa. <laughs> okay, I'm going to edit out <laughs> all my oh, my goshes. You had to realize that your loss lost. And find a way to get back. Uh, oh my goodness. Okay. Yes, Alisa. Well, what? What? <laughs> you said so much. Oh my goodness! I felt like this was like this conversation has been a huge reminder uh, to check in with myself, to be on top of my wellness yeah. right, and my health as a woman, and to be present and available and mindful of how I show up for myself, and not just now, but later. But I have to ask you, what, what is your love note to other mothers without children?
1: Wow, that's a good question. And I never thought of that. Um, but but what what I want them most to feel is validated. I don't want them to feel incomplete and I don't want them to feel um, like an outsider. I don't want them to feel any sense of shame. Um, you know, I want them to know that they're, um, they're life creators and life givers. Um, and they, they are moms as much as anyone is a mom and that, you know, whether they were able to bring a child into this world or not, um. And whether there's there's any physical evidence of that, which, you know, uh it's like a double-edged sword. For me, that was hard. I'm like, there there is nothing on this earth that um that shows that my son was here because he wasn't ever here on this earth. Um, the downside of that is that I know women who have had miscarriages later, um, you know, who've had to bury their their children before they were even birthed, which, you know, is awful. Um also mm-hmm. but you know whether there's any marker that that your child was ever here um, doesn't make your child any less real and um, so I guess that would be my love note to them you know yeah oh. I'm taking a deep breath because I have to yeah, I know we're we're all in the weeds today with this one it is It is difficult, oh um and it is really a testament to healing that I could have this conversation with you at all. I mean, I think i I came close to tears once during it, which is um, a huge thing uh to be able to talk about it at all. Um, and this is, you know, a lot of people still don't know. That um that I went through this, a lot of people at work and that that you can have a whole nother conversation about how you manage going through something like this, you know, while you're still going to work and and expected to be productive or mm. engaged or um anything else when it, your your insides are falling apart. Um, but mm. But I I haven't talked about this really publicly um, because I think as far as I've come, there's still a sense of, um, you know, protectiveness around this. You never know how people are going to respond to it. And um, there is still an element of feeling like you're admitting a failure um or an element of embarrassment or um you know I don't even have the right words for it but it, it's difficult to admit that you wanted something and you tried for something and no matter what you couldn't make it happen. That that is one of the hugest life lessons that came out of this for me because i never came across something in life before that I couldn't think my way or work my way out of. Um, I'm a smart girl and I can grind. And, you know, I I tend to think like many of us do that we can bend the world to our will. And there are just some things you don't have control over um, that you are not meant to have control over. And, you know, it's humbling, but you're not in the driver's seat of everything. Uh, you're just not, and I don't know that I would have really learned that lesson any other way in life. Um, but but it is still a difficult thing, you know, to talk about publicly. It still feels like admitting that you are broken in some way um, even seven years removed with all the work I've done and the ability to talk about it. And so, um, so yeah, I never really imagined that I, that I would do a whole podcast about it and, and open it up to the world. Hmm. But I think that the more that we can talk about it, the more that women can know that it's common and the more that women can know that other people have gone through it And the more that women can know that not everybody goes through it the same way, Um, so however it is that they're going through it is okay, then the better off we're all going to be. Um, Because I think that we do women a huge disservice. We put all these expectations on them of what it is that they should do and who it is that they should be and and what their value lies in and what they have to produce. Um, And we don't just let them be them. Mm. Um, And so, yeah. And so I have a story that has a happy ending in one sense, but not in the traditional fertility sense. Like, There's no rainbow baby for me as amazing as that would have been. Um, but you can still be whole and happy um, and have some kind of motherhood in your life.
0: You know, I appreciate your courage, you sharing your truth, and for showing up, truly showing up, right? I would say this is a how through lifestyle podcast. And you showing up the way you you just or the way you are, right? Is is what this is all about. I there are so many questions that life throws at us that we don't have the answers to. And I really feel in my heart that someone has tuned in and they are getting some answers that were just thrown at them, you know, or some, yeah, some answers that were thrown at them by questions from life. Like Elisa, you know, It is so mind blowing to hear you say it It almost feels like admitting to a failure. But the way that you've shown up, I'm just like, you just don't even know. Like you, you, I'm lost for words. (laughs) You are going to touch so many. Now you're making me
1: emotional. (laughs) And I don't even want to just say
0: women. You, because there are so many of us who go through and we're just like how do I get through this or I mean at 30 I'm like okay well am I going to be a mom and I'm go- I'm going to clearly be 30 plus years older than children if I birth them but then I also think about the opportunity that we have you know as women To just birth so many other things, you know, I think that's one of the things I really want people to take away from this conversation is that even if it's not a child, there's so many things that you can birth and give life to. Um, And, you know, while there are many things that, you know will never come out of us. And we won't be able to hold if that's a child. There's just so much other things you can give life to. You give life to other women every time, you know, you give them resources on how to start a business. You give life or you provide for your godsons. You are a great best friend. Like the fact that you've had best friends for like, what is it? 30 years, 30 years. I don't know. 30 years is, okay, Alisa, when you see her photo, you're going to be like, she's not old enough to have anything for 30 years. Um, But you've done so many great things and you know, in hearing yours, it's about you know, losing your child or not being able to, let's not even, I don't even want to say losing, right? Not being able to hold the child that you created. It just affirms that life goes on after mid, you know, after miscarriage, like you can still live and be fulfilled and hold true to the promises, you know, that you made to yourself. So thank you. I know that was a lot, but I just, <laughs> I'm like, how do I get this out? Cause there's so
1: much. Oh my gosh. Oh, Lisa. Well, I do. I, I hope that someone who needs to hear this hears this because um it was a dark time for me. I had never experienced anything like that. Um, I, you know, had had loss. Everyone has loss. But this was just at a level that was unprecedented for me that I didn't know how to get through. I didn't know how to handle. Um, and I was grasping at any kind of straws that I could get. Um, and so the people who had gone through this, um, who stuck their hand back to pull me along, uh, deserve so much of the credit. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, I can be that for someone who's in the middle of the tunnel right now. Hmm. So we have come
0: to the point of the tour where we have our mic drop moment. <laughs> this is the opportunity for you to leave it on the stage. You've already <laughs> given your note, your love note to Mothers Without Children. You shared so many precious moments and gems. And this is where you can leave it all on the stage I told you you can go from sexual chocolate to Obama out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> only you, Lydia, <laughs> only you, you it only you. There really are experts on this. And there are women, um, who sadly have been through this, um, many more times than me or who have whose fertility battles have gone on a lot longer than mine. Um, uh, or who have been really vocal with this and really tapped into communities about it. Um, and I'm not that. I really can only speak from my experience and, and the couple of people who I know have been through this that I've talked through. So, you know, I don't want in any way. To seem like an expert but you we all have to learn how to be experts on our own lives and our own body
0: I was just about to say you are most definitely (laughs) an expert of your experience yeah
1: certainly uh, of my experience you know um yes but um and when you said mic drop moment that's really what I thought about because that's that's what this is like I know this is the get your life and um and and getting your life is hard. Fighting for your life is hard. Um, because getting it doesn't mean that you've got it forever. I, I thought when this all started that I was on top of the world. I was like, you know, I got the, the husband that I want and the house that I want and the job that I want. And I'm about to start the family that I want. Um, you know, just because you put it all together doesn't mean it stays that way. Sometimes it falls apart and you got to put it back together. And it sucks, but it's your life and you got to fight for it. You know... Look, and I have to thank you for giving me another person to mother because literally, I'm like, you know, I know you're you're more of a little sister, but you know, I gotta I gotta send my motherly vibes your way (laughs) sometimes. So I I love having you you to love up on too. You know,
0: look, I take all that I can get. I am getting in my life, okay, and you have shown up for me in ways unimaginable. I knew from the moment I met you, I was like, there's something here and this is going to be different. And I'm, I'm here for it. Right. And I know I most definitely have like literally overstepped many boundaries.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, for all your (laughs) listeners, Lydia and I first had this conversation, Um, you know, I first opened up to her about my struggles with fertility and about my miscarriage. We were sitting in an airport of all places. Late night, our flight was delayed. The only thing open in the terminal was Burger King. And so here we are um, sitting (laughs) at one of those like old dirty melamine fast food tables over Burger King chicken fries. (laughs) Talking about (laughs) this.
0: You know, and you you really got me thinking about decisions that I need to make as a young woman. I mean, that conversation was so layered and timely. One of the things that we didn't touch on, but you said to me, and I'm paraphrasing, but I will never forget, is that when you decide to have a conversation about children with your partner, you need to ask them, will it be okay if I cannot give you a child? And I was like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. Right. But it's one of the things that really can take a toll on relationships. I was just like, wait, what? And you're like, make sure you're with somebody whose ambition is matched. And all this. you've given me so many gems.
1: Yeah. I'm just like, and, oh, you know, it. so yes, I, I look, take shout that. Shout out to all that. the fathers out there. Um, at the fathers who like, um, like me and my motherhood, the fathers without children, Um, because I think nobody really thinks about them. And um, my marriage ended, but I will be forever grateful for the ways that my ex-husband showed up um, for me and also for our child during this process. And I think that they don't get nearly enough credit. Um, He was as involved and engaged as I was he was as devastated as I was um and on top of that he tried to take care of me through all of it and um, so I just had to throw that in there where where it was due because as you mentioned yeah. you know I I do know women who unfortunately have had um marriages end over this who have had men say cruel cruel things to them over this, um, and I was incredibly blessed because I had a man who said, "You and me are family, um, and if there's never another one, that's okay. And if there is, that's just gravy. But you know, I I married you because I wanted to be family with you, not for the family that you would give me. Um, so, oh." That's loud. So, you know, um, it, it's interesting and, and we can have a whole other conversation about families because this very much reminds you that, um, you know, family is something that you create. Um, and so the same way that I think of myself as a mother without children, you know, when people ask me if I have a family. The traditional societal answer to that is is no, I don't. I don't have a husband. I don't have kids. But yes, um, I have a family. And I have my own family that I created, um, you know, from mm. from love and blood, and a mix of the two sometimes, um, and everything else. Um, right. So thank you for being part of my family, Lydia. Um, thank <laughs> and, you, and and thank you for pushing me always um, to get out of my comfort zone. And in this case, gently pushing me to um, to share this uh, for whoever might need to hear it.
0: You are more than welcome. And I have literally been listening with my heart and I'm so glad that you were able to really lead the conversation because I have learned so much. And even though we've had this conversation before, it is a reminder to just love yourself back to life time and time again. You just do not know. And I keep saying that, but you just do not know. And to everyone who is tuned in and going to tune in, Listen with your heart. Alisa. you have to tell people how they can get in contact with you because I know people are going to be jumping in your uh, (laughs) DMs and or sliding your DMs and trying to email you, follow you. You know, tell people how they can stay connected with you.
1: Okay. I'm on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter as at Alisa Gums. I'm on Instagram as at Amige, A-M-E-G-E-E. So you can find me and stick with me, please, if you DM me. Uh, I'm I'm not great like Lydia about answering people on social, but I eventually see them all and and get back to you. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And, you know, I encourage you because this is a very intimate topic. To be mindful of how you approach her, especially if you want to follow up with her about the conversation we had here. I do have to say that because sometimes, you know, we slip up and we just go for it. But please respect the sensitivity of this subject and be very intentional about what it is that you follow up with her about just do me that favor do yourself that favor as well so that you don't get blocked or curbed. <laughs> um as always you can't look they know we gotta keep it all the way gonna get my life tour. Mm-hmm. we host block parties quite often okay um yes look somebody's probably rolling their eyes but you just have to let people know i love y'all yeah but as always You can stay connected with the Get My Life Tour at the Get My Life Tour on all social platforms. Be sure to visit thegetmylifetour.com. Subscribe to the newsletter that will be launching soon as... We embark on year one of the Get My Life Tour. My goodness, it has been an incredible journey. And if you'd like to stay connected with me, be sure to do so. Visit my website, lydiatblanco.com. Follow me on all social platforms or better yet, connect with me on all social platforms at blanco. and stay in the loop. I'd love to know what you think about this stop on the tour, how you've, you know, been impacted by the wise words and the, the shared experiences. I'm Here on this side of the tour, be sure to like, subscribe, download, and leave a review. You matter on this tour, and there would be no Get My Life Tour without you. As always, it has been real. I am so grateful that you are on tour with me. Until the next time, peace. <laughs>